Well, good morning, Bridge Community Church. So great to be with you here today on this beautiful weekend. Isn't it nice just to be together in the house of the Lord this morning? Yeah, it's a beautiful weekend. It's an exciting time uh, for the Bridge Community Church family. We've got new members with the the Dean family joining us now. It's a time of graduations with the Move Up Sunday coming next week. And it's a time for weddings. Uh, So if you don't see the Kempers here this morning, it's because they are um, out of town for a wedding and just celebrating families coming together there. So just overall, an exciting time uh, to be together uh, with Pastor Paul being away, you're stuck with me speaking this morning, uh, so hopefully that's okay. I will try to... <laughs> Thank you. I'll try to at least speak as long as the announcements, but, <laughs> but Jen did set a pretty high bar. Uh, so, uh, seriously, though, thank you, Jen, wherever you are. Um, it, the, the announcements are important. I was, I was thinking this morning as, as Jen was going through all the different things uh, that are going on with our church over the next couple of months, the church really is not a box that we unlock on Sunday mornings, right? It is a healthy church. It, the image I got was like a, a beating heart, drawing people in, sending people out, drawing people in, sending people out. And I think that's kind of what you see in all of the different things that we've got going on. We're not just a club that meets on a Sunday morning, but we've got things going on all throughout the week, whether that's community groups or CSM or LEAP or First Friday. Uh, so just encourage you guys to, to get plugged in if you're not already and just find, find your ways to connect with all the different options uh, that you see on the announcements and, and on our website. So just a little plug for that. Thank you, Jen, for, uh, for taking the time to keep us, keep us in the loop on what's going on there. Uh, so I just wanted to take a quick survey this morning. Beautiful weekend right now. The weather is gorgeous. It's an exciting time of year. How many people spent some time this weekend just being outside and enjoying the outdoors? Do we have any uh, outdoor adventurers this morning? All right, very good. How about how many of you spent time doing some sort of home repair or renovations? Do we have any uh, weekend warriors on home repairs? All right, proud of you guys. How about how many of you spent time on the couch watching other people do home repairs. <laughs> I will admit, I can be a bit of an HGTV junkie. I, there is something just so satisfying. Even if you just fast forward through most of the episode and see that before and after at the end, like that big reveal, it's so exciting to me. But it's also dangerous because they make it look so easy. Right, because I, you know, I remember in the the last house that we were in. This isn't why we moved, but but I remember in our old house, we watched enough of these shows, and I got it in my head. If the Property Brothers can renovate an entire house in a one-hour episode, I bet I could do one bathroom in a week. And and I still don't know how I convinced Jess to let me do this, but I, so I did all this research and planning. I sent Jess and the kids down to Virginia to hang out with her, her side of the family for a week, took a week off of work, and I, I took our master bathroom, and I just gutted it down to the studs, replaced everything, um, I, and I was pretty proud of myself. I thought, you know, I, I think this is coming along. I've got some before and after pictures, if you want to put those up on the, on the slide. So you can see, you know, the, the, old, the old bathroom it had the tile work, and tile work is nice when it's new. But it was to the stage where like tiles were starting to fall off and crack, and it was just really hard to maintain. So 
stripped all that stuff out, put a nice low-maintenance tub in there, uh, painted it Jess's favorite color that, I'm not sure if it's blue or purple or somewhere in the middle there. Um, <laughs> turns out I'm not great at drywall. So, so what I did was where I had patched the drywall, I moved the medicine cabinet to, <laughs> to cover that spot. <laughs> uh, and, but then that left marks in the drywall, so, but you just hang a mirror and it's fine. So... <laughs> So overall, I was, I was pretty proud of myself. So Jess comes back. She, bring, you know, she brings the kids home. And uh, you know, I'm showing her all the stuff that I did. And then, then one evening after dinner, I was like, you know what, Jess? I've, I'll take care of cleaning up dinner. I've got this. You go upstairs. Just soak in your new tub. Just relax and enjoy it. Yeah, I, I got you, boo. <laughs> so, so I'm downstairs. I'm doing the dishes. And I'm thinking... Yeah, I know I'm not great at drywall, but when it comes to plumbing, I'm probably bad at that too, because there's a stream of water coming down from the ceiling of our living room right under this new tub that I installed. And so that was the end of, of Jess's relaxing, uh, soaking in the tub. Um, <laughs> so, so here's what happened. Um, if you've ever been in a bathtub before, I'm, I'm assuming you guys have all been in a bathtub before, right? So, so if you've ever been in a bathtub before, you'll notice between the faucet and the drain, there's this round metal thingy. I've, I've got a picture of it on the, on the screen here. See, round metal thingy. Uh, so that's supposed to attach to a pipe underneath the tub, like inside of it. And if it's attached... If the water gets too high, it just kind of siphons down that pipe, goes down the drain, and, and everything's fine. If it's not attached, it just streams down the outside of the tub, lands on the drywall on the floor below you, finds the first seam it can, and just starts dripping on your kids. So, so that, that's quick plumbing 101 lesson for you. Um, and so, so we had this beautiful bathroom that I put together, and, and I thought... I thought what I had done was the after picture, right? But no, we had to have a contractor come in. He had to rip up all of the work that I had done because as good as it looked on the surface, the problems were below the surface, right? And so, so he had to attach things, attach the tub correctly, build everything back up to get the bathroom the way it was intended to be done all along. And then just to add one more slice of humble pie to this whole story, guess who it turns out is good at doing drywall. Next slide. That's right. Jess Lipless, everyone. <laughs> so, so she may not have enjoyed a relaxing bubble bath, but she can take pride in a job well done of, of spackling uh, and, and repairing the drywall on our living room ceiling. All right, so we could take that slide down. I'm not going to be able to <laughs> keep a straight face <laughs> with that up on the screen. But, but you may be wondering, why, why is he telling us this story? Aren't we supposed to be doing Bible engagement? This looks more like a, an HG, HGTV outtakes reel or something like that. Um, but, but there is a lesson uh, that I think we can learn in our spiritual lives uh, from, from this story and so I, I think you'll, you'll see the connection when we flip to our next slide. Uh, we are in Bible Engagement, Volume 9, Session 3, 
And what we're looking at is a before and after picture, but not a before and after of a master bathroom. This is the before and after uh, of a man that we're going to meet in the story named Saul. Uh, so you, um, you may have heard of Saul before. So he, Saul actually has two names. His Hebrew name is Saul. His Greek name was Paul. For most of the New Testament, we know him as Paul. And he actually goes on to write about two-thirds of the New Testament are actually letters written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and so he wound up being a, a, an amazing, powerful apostle, uh, f- a follower of Jesus Christ. But with this story, what we're going to look at this morning is, is the before picture. What he looked like before that uh, and what we can learn from this. Uh, so in light of the story that we are going to be learning about today, about uh, the conversion of Saul, I want to bring up our faith verse slide for Bible engagement for the month. Uh, and it is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, and ironically, it's actually written by the Apostle Paul. So Paul wrote this in a letter to a church in Philippi about 20 years after his conversion. So about 20 years after the story that we're going to learn about today, Paul writes this letter uh, to Philippi, and he has this verse in it. And it says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So what I want you to get out of that faith verse this morning is that Paul didn't arrive on the day of his conversion. That was not the end of his journey. What you can see here is even someone you know, as powerful and faithful of a follower of Christ as Paul, 20 years later, still considered himself pressing on and continuing to build his faith and to grow in the plan that Christ has called out for you. So as we talk through the lesson this morning and we read through the story, I hope you keep this in mind and that that's an encouragement for you. Wherever you are in your life journey, You don't have to feel like, well, I haven't arrived yet. There's something wrong. It's a continual journey that we see. We continue to press on to reach, uh, to follow the path that he has set out for us and to reach that heavenly prize someday that he he has in store for us. Uh, So if you would just take a minute and uh, uh, pray this morning with me before I I get into the the lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a plan for each one of us uh, and that you call us uh, to do what only your will has prescribed for us, Lord. I pray that we would just keep open hearts and open minds as we listen to the story of Saul's conversion. Uh, and may we not just hear it as an interesting story, Lord, but I pray that we would each see ourselves uh, in a part of this story and hear what it is you're asking us to get out of this message. And again, we pray that you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we are going to be in Acts chapter 9. Uh, and what I'm going to do this morning is... Uh, I just want to read straight through the entire story uh, before I get into the different points of the message. So if you're following along uh, in your Bible or your phone, we also have Bibles under the seats in front of you, uh, and we'll also have it up on the screen. But I just want want you to hear how Luke lays out this story and tells us about the conversion uh, of um, this man, Saul, that we're going to be hearing about. So um, just a little bit of, of backstory uh, Saul was one of the Jewish Pharisees, so he was one of the religious leaders uh, within the Hebrew people, and he was zealously opposed 
to the Christian church. He was there when Stephen, the very first martyr, was stoned to death uh, for following Jesus and for preaching the word of Jesus because the Pharisees believed that this was heresy and and blasphemy. Uh, So that's kind of the the background of who this guy is and and what he's about to do. Uh, So let's pick up in Acts chapter 9, starting in the very, very first verse. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Uh, and just to pause for a minute there, uh, belong to the way, that's how they referred to the followers of Jesus at that point in time. We don't actually see the term Christian uh, used until I think it's like Acts chapter 11. Uh, so this is not a Mandalorian reference when they talk about followers of the way. Uh, this is the, the early church. Um, so he, he gets letters uh, that he can take so that if he finds any of these followers of Christ, he can take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. And then here's where it gets interesting. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So you can see already this is not going at all to Saul's plan, right? He, he believed he had a mission to do. He had letters from the Pharisees, from the religious leaders. Uh, he believed that what he was doing was serving God, but God interrupts his plans right in the middle of his journey to Damascus. Moving on to verse 10. In Damascus, there is a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So this is pretty cool. Ananias is a follower of Jesus. He gets shown a vision from the Lord that tells him, you know, you've got a very simple job to do. Go to Judas's house. It's on, on Straight Street. You know exactly where to go and go pray for this man named Saul. Uh, but as we go to verse 13, you can tell Ananias just wants to fact check God and make sure he understands all the details of what's going on here. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And I wonder if we've ever been there uh, ourselves uh, where we believe God is, is asking us to do something, asking us to take a step of faith. And we're like, well, God, that, that kind of sounds like a good idea, but I don't know if you've thought this all the way through. There's some details that, that we should maybe consider here. And so, you know, and I spells it out to the Lord. Saul's been arresting a lot of us. I don't know that this is such a good idea. 
But of course, God had thought all of this through, and he replies, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So you can see, God has already thought all of this through. Nothing that Ananias could say was going to surprise him. There was no detail that he was going to say, oh no, you're right, I didn't didn't think about that part. Um, He already had a plan for Saul. He said, this man is my chosen instrument. He had a purpose for Saul. He said he was going to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings of the people of Israel. And he had a process laid out for how that was going to happen. Um, He said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I probably could have done a whole other sermon just on those three points, right? A plan, a purpose, a process. I'll probably write that down and save it for later. Uh, But but my point here is that even when it doesn't necessarily make sense to us, like it didn't make sense to Ananias, God has already ordained the steps that he's calling us to take. And he's got a plan for something greater than we would have thought of on our own. Moving on to verse 17 of chapter 9. We see that Ananias obeys. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So remember those two pieces because that's important. That you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So this begins Saul's transformation. And like we said uh, in the faith verse, this wasn't the end of it. This was the beginning of him starting to transform or be transformed. Moving on to verse 20. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So you can see this is one of those dramatic before and after transformations that no one who sees it can understand what just happened here, right? This is the man that they all were afraid of. They knew he was coming with authority from the high priests to arrest these followers of Jesus and bring them back to prison. And now here he was not just not arresting them, not just leaving them alone and letting them be, but he became an outspoken proponent of this faith in Jesus. And he was not just suggesting that maybe Jesus could be the Son of God. It says he was proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So all of this work that he had built up on his own, laying out how he thought things should be, God changed in an instant and began this process of transforming him to see the truth and see all that he had in store uh, for using Paul. So this, in my mind, is kind of like the dramatic HGTV-level reveal. And a lot of times we think, well, yeah, that's really cool for them. That's exciting. How does that apply to my life? You know, I'm not going to put all that stuff into my house. That's like an extreme case. How does that apply to me? So this morning what I want to do is I want to look at 
three different characters, well, really two different characters, but Saul changes a lot in the middle there. Uh, and, and what I want you to think about is which one of these characters do I relate to most in my walk with where I am today? Uh, and then we're, we're going to have some, some reflection time at the end there. But what I want you to be thinking about as we talk through this is, is just as much as you, you might appreciate the story of what happened to Saul, look inward as well and think, you know, how do I fit into this? So the, the first observation I have is Saul's before picture. Uh, and I kind of summarized it this way. Sometimes our best intentions still lead to our biggest messes. So that kind of, you know, summarizes my bathroom remodel that I showed you early, earlier. I, you know, I did not mean to cause a water feature in our living room, right? That was not my intent. I had all the best intentions of building this up and making it look perfect and having it be this nice, low-maintenance, updated bathroom for my wife. I was trying to take care of things for her. I had all the best intentions, and it led to one of the biggest messes I've caused in our home, um, and I think that's where, that's where Saul was at this point in time. Saul was not some rebel that was against God and was just trying to attack the people of God and destroy what God was doing. Saul was one of the most learned Pharisees uh, of his day. He spent time, most scholars believe he would have had the scriptures memorized, like not just a couple of verses memorized, but their scriptures memorized in both in Hebrew at a minimum, and this, based on the way he wrote the letters, uh, he, they believe he may have also had it written uh, memorized in Greek. So can you imagine? You know, we, we try and memorize a faith verse a month. This guy had had all the scriptures memorized, possibly in two different languages. So he was not doing any of this because he considered himself an enemy of God. He had all the best intentions. He believed he was serving God that the people who were following Jesus were blasphemous and were distorting the truth. And he thought what he was doing was protecting the people of God and defending the truth of God from this new way. And, and I think a lot of times, you know, leaving, leaving home renovations aside, we, we can do this in our own lives too, right? We think, I'm a good person, right? I've never killed anybody. I don't steal I don't, you know, I don't, I don't do all of these things. I'm pretty good, right? And, and we have these, we have these good intentions, and we say things, and we might mean well, and and maybe we offend someone in what we said, or but we feel like, well, for the most part, I'm pretty good. But a lot of times, that can still lead to lead lead to the messes when it is in our own strength when we're trying to do it all ourselves. Let's go to this next slide. Um, this is how Saul viewed himself as far as his resume as a Pharisee. So, you know, this kind of shows that he believed he was doing exactly what God called him to do. He said, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Basically what he said in that last sentence there is, I was perfect. Well, right? We might think that sometimes, but basically what he was saying where it says, put confidence in the flesh. If we're just looking at what I can do in my own strength, I've, what he's basically saying here is, I've checked all of the right boxes, right? I made it to Sunday school 
every Sunday. I went to VBS every summer. I'm a pretty good person. I'm nice to my neighbors. I've checked all of these right boxes. And if anyone can put their faith or their confidence in what they've done in themselves, I can beat them. I've done even more than that. So that was kind of old Saul. But after this conversion, he realizes what the what the actual situation is. And if you go to this next slide, you can hear how much of the transformation uh, in, in his voice in the way he describes himself. He said, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's what he said in, in a letter to, to Timothy. So basically what he's saying is, you know, previously he viewed himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was at the top of the list when it came to faithful Pharisees. And then what he realized is the list, the real list that he was on top of was the list of sinners that Jesus came to save. So he says, Jesus came to save sinners, and we believe that, and he viewed himself as the chief of sinners. And then in his letter to the church in Corinth, he writes this, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So you can see this mindset shift as the Holy Spirit begins to transform him and change the way he sees his spiritual situation, he says he's on the top of the list of sinners. He's on the bottom of the list of the apostles. And he realizes, you know, yes, I have a calling to be an apostle and to preach the word of God. But he does that now with a humility, knowing how much more that grace means to him because of where he was before that grace. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I don't deserve that because I had persecuted the church. And he has such a greater appreciation of that grace of Christ because he can see his before picture. He knows where he was and he sees what, what God has blessed him with beyond what he deserves uh, in this moment on his own. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're at that point where you've tried to do things on your own. You've tried to check the right boxes and, and be a good person, but there's still something, there's still something missing. You, you, know, you haven't had that conversion experience yet. There's still something that you're not fully giving over to Christ to say, this area of my life, I need you to take this. I can't, I can't fix this mess anymore. Or maybe you're in the situation of Saul's after picture. And if we can uh, bring that next slide up. The way I described Saul's after is this. True transformation can only come through the Holy Spirit. So Saul spent decades studying the scripture and studying the traditions of the Pharisees. And it was everything that he tried to do on his own. Where the transformation came in was not just redirecting his own individual efforts in another direction, but it was letting the Holy Spirit empower him to make a real transformation uh, that he would not have been able to do on his own. Uh, So if if we go to uh, the next slide, these are verses that we read earlier this morning. Remember, I said there were two things that I wanted you to remember uh, that, that happened. Uh, It said, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again, that's one, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So the two things he was going to get was he was going to receive his sight back and he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see the evidence of the first promise of receiving his sight again because it says, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. So there it was. He got up and he was baptized. And where do we see the evidence of the second promise that he was filled with the Holy Spirit? For that, we jump ahead to verse 22. And it says, Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the evidence of him receiving his sight again was the scales falling off, the evidence of his infilling of the Holy Spirit was the fact that he was able to grow more and more powerful and he was able to speak truths uh, that, were, that baffled the rest of the Jews in that area, being able to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. So as we look at our own lives, you know, maybe we've already taken that first step that Saul took in just becoming a believer. Maybe we've already been baptized. But if we are still on our own, trying to live under our own strength, but just with new purposes or new goals, we're still missing the second half of that transformation that we see Saul had. We're still, until we let the Holy Spirit fill us and guide us, that, that's the piece that is going to actually drive this true transformation that can take someone, in this case, someone like Saul, who was persecuting the church, was part of the stoning of the first martyr, was putting Christians in prison. He goes on to write about two-thirds of the New Testament and we still, we still read what he wrote and, and use it in churches today. So that type of complete transformation is not something we're ever good enough to do on our own. That can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're ready, you've, you've accepted Jesus, and, and now it's time for you to just set aside your own ambitions. Not that God doesn't give us dreams, but set aside trying to do it on your own and trying to do it all in your, in your own strength and just yielding to what the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to do and might be empowering you to do. And that brings us to our third example, um, which is uh, Ananias. Uh, and the way I describe Ananias' situation in the story is this. Even a small step of obedience can require a big leap of faith. So Ananias was further along in his walk with Christ than uh, Saul was. Saul had only been a Christian for a couple of days by that point. Uh, Ananias had already uh, become a follower of Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was prompted, uh, prompted by God to the point where God would even give him visions and call him by name and say, this is what I need you to do next. But even someone in that situation still has to take a step of faith sometimes when God calls him to do something that doesn't make sense in our own strength or in our own logic. If you remember um, from that story, you know, God tells him to go and pray for this man Saul from Tarsus. And Ananias is like, well, wait a minute. This is, this is scary, right? This man has been arresting people. I'm one of the people that's on his list of Christians that he's authorized to take back to Jerusalem. What if this is some kind of a trap? But he had to set that aside, and he had to take a step out in faith 
and trust that God had this under control. And if this is something that God is calling him to do, God's going to make a way and it's going to make that happen. So he had to set that aside even when it didn't make sense in his own wisdom. So if we can go into that, to the next slide, uh, I want to share a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians. Uh, and this is how Paul describes this situation. He says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So this verse can be a little confusing. It looks like it's saying that sometimes God is foolish and sometimes God is weak, but that's okay because even his most foolish parts are still wiser than where we are. I think what it's really saying is God's plans that appear foolish to us or when God asks us to do things that we believe make us look weak, our interpretation of foolishness and weakness that God uh, projects, even those things are wiser and stronger than whatever we can come up with in our own strength. Because, as it says in verse 27, God chooses to use the things that seem foolish or the things that seem weak to prove that this power really comes from him and not from the people that are moving about. And so that's really what he's trying to show there is this is not going to make sense in human plans. This is not going to make sense by human wisdom Because we're not doing this by human plans. We're not doing this according to human wisdom. We're doing this by the plans that God has set for us. And we're trusting, we're taking that step of faith to do what we believe he has called us to do and he is going to uh, empower us to do. So if the worship team could come up. um, I've got three reflection questions that I would like you to start uh, thinking about uh, as they begin to play. Uh, and and they, they tie to the, the three different characters that we looked at this morning. Uh, like I said earlier in the message, you know, it's an interesting story, and it's cool to see the before and after of Saul, um, but if we just focus there, it doesn't change anything for today. So what I want you to, to spend time thinking about today is how does this apply to you? Where do you fit in? So um, first of all, are you like the before picture of Saul where you're in a mess that you can't fix on your own. Maybe it's an issue with your family. Maybe it's something with your job. Uh, the, the, the biggest example here is maybe this is, maybe this for you is salvation. If you have never accepted Jesus before, if you have never put your faith in him and said, today I decide to follow you, all you're doing is continuing to try and build things up on your own. So maybe this morning, this is your opportunity to have that conversion experience like Saul. It probably won't be as dramatic as a voice coming down from heaven and a bright light and you'll be blind for three days. Um, But God still wants to reach out to us and to speak to you right where you are and make that transformation if that's not something you've experienced today. Or maybe you're, you're not in that point. Maybe you've already accepted Jesus and you've been trying to walk things out on your own. And maybe you're in a spot where You just need the Holy Spirit to empower you to do something that you cannot figure out how you're going to do this on your own. You're tired of struggling and figuring it out in your own strength. And you need to just let go and say, Holy Spirit, like uh, like we sang in the the ocean song before the message, um, I will call upon your name uh, and just 
stop focusing on the waves around us and trust that this is only going to happen because of the Holy Spirit that God has already poured into my life. And and tied into that, as as we have the Holy Spirit in us and, and we have that power, is there a specific thing that God is calling you to do and take that step of faith? Just like Ananias was called, and he had a decision to make when, De- when God tapped him on the shoulder and said, go pray for Saul. He had a choice to make, and he could have said, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not doing that. God, uh, Saul has been trying to destroy your church, God. I'm just going to leave him alone. I'm not going to go pray for him. The unfolding of the church would have looked completely different if Saul's conversion doesn't happen in Acts chapter 9. So it may, get up, it may just be a small step that we have to take. You know, all Ananias was asked to do, go to a house, pray for a man, and, he, and tell him that he's received his sight. And that triggers a whole butterfly effect uh, that just unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit in the, in the early church there. And we see Saul get used throughout the known world, spreading the gospel. And so is there something in your life? And it may not be a big, huge thing. It may not be a big, huge life change. Maybe he's just calling you to reach out to someone that you haven't talked to in a few months. Give them a phone call, send them a text, see how they're doing. It could be something small, but in the right context and used obediently and in faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it can completely change someone's world. And, and change the way their story looks. So the uh, worship team is going to uh, lead us in a song called Make Room. And, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. But what, what I want you to do is, as you're singing that song, be thinking about these reflection questions, try and figure out where, where you fit in, where this might apply to you. Uh, and then also think about the words to this song. It says, I'll make room for you to do what you want to do. And and it's a simple song. It's it's not a ton of words, um, but it's just an opportunity to surrender and to tell God, you know, whatever you want to do, I'm setting aside my distractions, my own agendas, my worries, and I'm just going to make room for you. You have permission to shake up whatever traditions or rules I think I need to stay within and I need to keep following and just shake those up and do what you need to do. So, We're going to sing that together, take some time, reflect during that time, uh, and then we'll come back up. I'll come back up and and we'll have a time of of, uh, prayer and reflection after that.